0: Noah, David, some others were considered blameless, not because they hadn't sinned. They were considered blameless with the word meaning they were all there. And uh, I'm thankful that the guys that are gifted musically are all there in worship. They're not all there in creating this sound. Um, I'm thankful uh, I mean, that's intense. It's intense, and it's just so truth-driven. I don't know. You know, it may be a different sort of worship style than some folks are used to, but if you listen to the content of it, it's meat. I mean, they're old hymns. They're psalms. I mean, we are engaging truth and projecting it Godward, and I don't even see these guys. That's a compliment to y'all, wherever you are. i kind of dispersed. I don't even see you. I don't see your face. That's good. That's the way it ought to be. I hope you don't see my face in these next few minutes in this sermon, but that you hear truth exposed and uh, that it brings glory to God. Let's pray. Lord, first this morning, I want to pray for another church in our community. I want to pray for family fellowship. Lord, we want to pray for your fame and renown and your glory in and through that church. I want to pray for Paul Blue, I want to pray for his worship and his marriage and his family, and pray that all those things all kind of melt together, that he is enjoying you. I pray even in light of the sermon this morning, that his church does not expect of him what they should be expecting of deacons, that he is able to preach and pray and minister with the Word. And I pray that that creates a potency in the pulpit Where lives are transformed, a church is grown, the work of their hands are established because it's truth-driven. Lord, we want to pray for this church. Pray that whatever way possible that we can serve as teammates, just enjoying you out loud, I pray that you'll guard our hearts as I pray that you would guard theirs and every other church in our community from a spirit of competition. And a little quiet, secret delight when you hear of another church that's struggling. Break our hearts over that. Guard our hearts from that. May we be cheerleaders for each other, lifting up each other's work for your name's sake. Because your name is attached to it. Lord, we're thankful for the sweet privilege of serving together in this community. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, I didn't pray for where we're going right now. Let's pray again. God, too, I want to lift up these next few minutes as we consider the role of the deacon. Lord, I pray that every single person in this body is arrested with what this is, what this means, the gravity of this ministry. I pray for little boys in this church right now, that through truths like we engage this morning, that over time and through men serving like Christ among us, that boys will aspire to someday be a biblical deacon. I pray for young men that will count it a privilege to be considered. I pray for older men that will see it as the cream of life to be asked to serve in the local body. Lord, we count it a sweet privilege to engage you this morning through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We have two passages we're going to be looking at this morning. Acts 6 is going to be home base for us, so go ahead and turn there. And there's a satellite also in 1 Timothy 3, so if you have a couple of bookmarks or a bookmark and a pickle or whatever you want to put in that page over there to hold that page, we're going to consider the passages first, and then we're going to climb into our message. Acts chapter 6. now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews let me tell you who those are anytime you hear someone referring to Hellenism they're speaking of Greco-Roman influence a time of or the influence of Hellenism would be the Greek-speaking Jews is what they're referring to here. And they're pitted against the Aramaic-speaking Jews, the Jewish Jew. The Greek-influenced Jew is pitted against the Aramaic-speaking Jew because their widows, the Greek-speaking Jewish widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, the, the, the daily distribution is something that's hard for us to, to connect to. You need to know that in this day and age, when someone followed Christ, especially here in Jerusalem, what was in store was extreme poverty. I mean, you couldn't hold on to all your stuff and follow Christ. It cost you everything. And likely for most of the Roman Empire, the same thing was true. But especially in Jerusalem. So much so that when Paul was going around the Roman Empire planting churches, he's also taking up a collection for these poor folks here in Jerusalem, these poor believers. So they're dealing with this problem here where the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because the Greek-speaking Jewish widows, Christian widows, that is, were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. I mean, that's an issue, right? Just so we can kind of get the gravity of the import of deacons, let's imagine that we haven't eaten yet today. Likely all of us have something to eat. Let's imagine, too, that we're not going to eat unless the church delivers the goods. Everybody paying attention now? Mm Mm-hmm. I like to eat. So let's tune into this and let's get what's going on here. There's a dynamic going on where the Hellenists are against the Hebrews because their believing widows are not getting fed like the Jewish widows are getting fed. So the 12 disciples, that is, apostles, that is, summoned the full number of the disciples. They got all the church together. They had a membership meeting. Everybody, come on. We're going to deal with this. And they said to the full membership, membership, they said, it's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. That's not right. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you, In other words, nominate seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. You nominate them, we'll test them, search them, and appoint them. But we, being the apostles, really an early picture of elders and deacons, elders and pastors, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. That's right. And what they said pleased the whole, congreg- whole gathering, the whole congregation. Just the idea of it said, ooh, I like that. That sounded like a plan. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and, hol- uh, and, and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they, the apostles, prayed and laid their hands on them. Watch this. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The priests? That's right. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now look over at 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is our satellite. We're going to go ahead and read it just for the sake of having it handy. give you a little perspective, this is a letter from Paul written to Timothy, a young pastor. Timothy is also a church planner, an evangelist, preacher. And Paul is writing about some things that are essential to the church. In chapter 2, he writes about prayer. In chapter 3, he introduces the qualifications for overseers, our elders, our pastors, synonymous. And then in verse 8, he talks about deacons deacons likewise must be dignified that means that they should be worthy of respect not a goober they might be weird we've got our share of those deacons but they're worthy of respect not double-tongued meaning that they're not saying one thing one place and another thing another place you don't have to worry that they're saying one thing in front of you like eddie haskell saying something else somewhere else They're not double-tongued, but they're men who are sincere, and they're not addicted to much wine. That means what it says. They're not addicted to much wine, and they're not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold, present tense, the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves, a sweet word we engage at the beginning of the morning, morning, message this morning, blameless, if they prove themselves all there. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. That is what it means, the husband of one wife, not having more than one wife. We don't believe that means divorced. Because when Paul talked about divorce, he called it divorce. We believe it's a man that's a one-woman man that has eyes for his wife only. Managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that's in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, Tim. But I'm writing these things, these things about prayer, these things about elders, these things about deacons to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Sometimes part of preaching is talking about what things aren't or what things shouldn't be. So I'm going to deal with some paradigms, maybe a paradigm, it may be a singular. We're a melting pot of experiences here at Crosspoint. It's funny that sometimes folks don't know that we are connected to the Southern Baptist Church. We are. We have lots of backgrounds that come together at Crosspoint, and it's hard to know what kind of baggage each of us is carrying. But there's a common baggage to some of you, and I would venture to say many of you, especially if you have a traditional Southern Baptist background, that I feel it necessary to address this baggage. Many of us come from traditional Southern Baptist backgrounds, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a thing. And common to many traditional Southern Baptist backgrounds, and I say many, not all, is a misunderstanding of the role of the deacon in the church. Some, in fact, have had experiences with mishandling the diaconate that have been so unsavory that when we've approached these folks about being nominated as a deacon or to consider the role of a deacon, they're like, not me, buddy. Some folks have images of uh, sweaty, smoke-filled rooms. Maybe not smoke-filled, maybe that's for after the meeting. (coughs) Sweaty meetings that are intense, nostrils flared. We have some baggage when it comes to our experience with the diaconate. I did some research on the Southern Baptist drift from the biblical model, and I found some quotes from some guys who studied this. I'm piggybacking on their study. A man named Charles DeWeese wrote a book called The Emerging Role of Deacons. In 1979, he shared this quote. He said, in the later half of the 18th century, a new concept of Baptist deacons emerged and continues to exist in many churches today. This is 1979. This was the view of the deacons as church business managers. This view stressed to a seemingly excessive degree the administrative function of deacons intended to distract from other areas of service previously given equally strong attention. Charles DeWeese also included some details from a man named R.B.C. Howell. This is the second president of the Southern Baptist Convention. In 1846, this guy may be the one who's really perpetuated it. He referred to the diaconate as a board of directors. It's the first time that that word had ever been used of deacons, a board. And a board is usually used in business settings. A chairman goes with that notion as well. He put forth the idea that spiritual matters belonged to the pastor slash elder, and physical matters belonged to the deacons. Seems to make sense, a division of labor, Right? What this creates is a bunch of men who might be businessmen, but they're not worshipers. Creates almost a Gnostic division between the physical and the spiritual. It's sort of like separating Sunday from the rest of the week, it's sort of like separating your faith from your cubicle and your neighborhood. In 1955, Robert Naylor, the Southern or excuse me, Southwestern Seminary president said this. He said, this is 1955. He said, there are churches where deacons have appropriated to themselves authority which is contrary to New Testament teaching. It may have gone so far that, (laughs) it's a tough word. I'm glad he said it. Bossism has developed. Bossism. There's a board complex and a general feeling that deacons are directors of the church. Nothing could be farther from the Baptist genius or the New Testament plan. Anywhere this condition exists, there inevitably are those who say that deacons are not needed. And Robert Naylor, the president of the Southwestern Seminary in 1955, said, The truth is that such deacons as this are not needed in churches. Bossism. I don't know how it happened. It may have been RBC Howell. It may have been a function of churches losing a view of plural elder leadership. So by default, deacons have to step up and hold one dude accountable. Whatever the cause of it, it's broken. And here's the reality. In the mid-18th century, you step off one degree, it's not a big deal. And then in 1855, when RBC Howell is speaking, one degree by that point is 20 degrees. And by 1979 and even 2010, we could potentially be miles off the biblical standard for deacons. And it just started with a degree. So it makes sense for us to go back and revisit biblically, what is this thing called a deacon? What is this person? Our dream at Crosspoint Fellowship is that when our children hear the word deacon, they think of what it is like to have Christ in the flesh among us. That's our dream. That our children think of what it is like to have Christ among us in the flesh. How he would have served us is realized through the biblical deacon. Deacon. Our dream is that they think of this when they think of deacons. Acts chapter 6, the infant church is experiencing division over what appears to be favoritism. I say appears to be because I'm looking at the apostles and I'm seeing the apostles of the brand new baby church, 12 of them. I mean, probably thousands of believers at that point in the baby church. And I'm seeing 12 guys that are like a one-legged man in a behind-kicking contest. They're just trying to keep it in the middle of the road. They're trying to teach and preach. And they're trying to get everybody fed. And the Hellenists are upset because their widows haven't been tended to. And you know, the potential is for the Hellenists to sit around and think, I knew those apostles didn't care about us. In seven years of ministry at Crosspoint, I've seen that happen where people expect the worst of their elders. Like we're conspiring to slight somebody. Mm. Man, I just urge you to give these guys the benefit of the doubt. They're one-legged man in behind kicking contest. They're doing all they can to do what's right. And here these 12 guys are just trying to get people fed. And the Hellenistic... Jewish widows weren't getting taken care of like the Jewish widows. So the apostles, in many, many ways, the forerunner of the elder and pastor, deal with it publicly. Let's get everybody together. Publicly is the best way to deal with stuff. They could have done this privately. They could have grabbed seven guys off to the side, men that they picked, hand picked. Hey, guys, I want y'all to tend to this. They dealt with it publicly. Let's get everybody together and let's drag it out into the light. It's the best way to deal with things. So the people nominated seven men and they were appointed by the apostles. And this account here in Acts chapter 12 is a beautiful instrument for us this morning that is going to help us build the definition of the deacon. And 1 Timothy 3 is going to serve as a satellite. A four-part definition. Here's the first part. Deaconing is an essential work. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. I don't want you to turn. I want you to listen. Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, that is, elders, pastors, and deacons. That's all there is. There's really no biblical picture of a church staff. The elder and the deacon are the two serving instruments in the church. And it is an essential work. Eldering first. Let's look at this passage in Acts chapter 6 and see what the elder is about. In chapter chapter 6 verse 2, it says that the apostles say, It's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God. You want to know what an elder does? That's what they do. They preach the word of God to serve tables. That's what the deacon is doing. Look at verse 4 to amplify what else the elder is doing. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It's important to know what the elder does in order to know what the deacon does. An elder may be a foreign word to many of you. You need to understand that biblically in the New Testament, elder, pastor, overseer, and bishop are used synonymously. You don't have to call the elders bishops, but you could. They're the same thing. And you've got to understand what the elder is doing so you can understand what the deacon is to do. See, we, we, we serve in this weird paradigm here in Greenville. And in the South, I would say, that it almost treats the pastorate almost like a chaplaincy. My granddaddy was a chaplain. I have a really high view of what the chaplain does. He was an army chaplain. But to treat the local pastor of the local church like a chaplain who's got to be there every time somebody's sick, every time somebody has a bobo, anytime somebody's died, anytime somebody has any sort of physical need or spiritual need, swoop in the pastor. You take him away from what he's supposed to be doing, preaching, praying, and the ministry of the Word. Now, he may show up to one of those contexts, ministering with the Word. But to expect this one dude... To be everywhere. He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. Able to do all things. But in our context we so easily put all of the work of most of it. The deacon on the elder. The elder is to be about the work of preaching. Prayer in the ministry of the word, these guys said, you know what? It's not right for us to give up this essential work for this essential work. This is still essential. It's not right for us to give this up for that. For when we do, the pulpit suffers. And you wonder why pulpits have nothing more than drivel and funny stories and emails? It may be because the church is expecting the pastor to do what the deacon should be doing. Man, you talk about a healthy church. When deacons are deaconing, the elders can elder, But the deacons, the deacons, there's like this weird absence in the New Testament of a list of responsibilities for the deacons. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's the qualifications. They're not duties. Notice it. It's character qualifications. The only real picture that we've got of what the deacon is doing I love, it's so simple, is serving tables. When I was preparing the sermon, I was thinking about those who serve tables. And Christy and I enjoy going to Gloria's. It's one of our favorite local restaurants in Rockwall. And there's a waiter there. It's like the bionic waiter. His name is Jaime. I bet some of you who've eaten there, you know who I'm talking about. This guy's amazing. I bet he's got like a tattoo on his shoulder that has I heart table. It's like a table or a pitcher. (coughs) This guy's amazing. I mean, you're sitting eating your meal. You know, at first it starts out with chips and you got water there. And, you know, we come in there, Chrissy sit down and I sit down, you know, I'm thirsty. I'm going to drink some water and I kill my water and I set it down and I'm going to have to get him to bring me some more water. And I look down and it's full again. And I'm like, how would that happen? And I see Jaime standing off in the corner smiling. (coughs) (sighs) I got it taken care of. And the chips are the same way, man. They never, it's like the, the loaves and the fishes. They just keep going. Because Jaime's doing his job. Homeboy is bionic waiter who is uber attentive. The tables that he's responsible for He's just so tuned in to every need at that table. And he takes initiative. Two beautiful traits of the proper biblical deacon. Attentiveness and initiative. He doesn't run off to the manager. Hey, manager, you think it'd be okay if I give this table some more chips? He just swoops in there, meeting the needs. That's a great picture of the deacon not asking... To do everything, he's just doing it. He owns the meal to as if he's cooked it. You tell Jaime, man, that was a wonderful meal. He says, I oh, thank you. He owns it as if he cooked it. You hear that, deacons? And he treats that table like it's his very own family sitting at that table. So is the work of the deacon, a servant constantly on the lookout for an empty glass or a low basket of chips. The deacon is an essential work. It would not be right for us to give up this essential work for this essential work. That's what the deacon is doing. Secondly, the deacon is an essential work by faithful men. Look at First Timothy chapter 3. I want you to pay attention to a couple of things in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. I've read them already, and I mentioned this already, but I want you to pay special attention to this, that this list is not a list of achievements. And it's not a list of duties. It's a list of qualifications. It's a list of character traits. It's a list that says what these men are like. In Acts chapter 6, the picture in verse 3 is men of repute. Pick out from among you seven men of good repute. And then we see that little phrase sort of amplified in verse 8 of 1 Timothy 3. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They're to be men of repute. And here's the sweet picture. They are to be men of repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And sure enough, Stephen, the first that they chose, they say he is full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. These men are to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And this is amplified over here in 1 Timothy 3, verse 9. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And that hold is present tense. The NAS does a good job translating. It says, holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Thing you've got to know about deacons, those who aspire to it, those who are it, those who may be someday, those who were deacons, is that faith is the engine of the deacon. Faith is the engine of the deacon. You may not realize this about the church, but the church is content driven. Clubs are not content driven. The Lions Club, the Lions Club takes care of kids with disabilities. They're defined by what they do. The church is different. The church is defined by what they believe. Now, doing is certainly a product of that belief. But the church is content-driven. The church is driven by a story about a finished work by an able Savior. All that we do as a church springs forth from this deep belief It defines us, it directs us, it fuels us. We are not defined by what we do. We're defined by what's already been done. You understand the difference? And just as a church is defined by the content, driven by a story about a finished work by an able saver, so the deacon is driven by content. The deacon is driven by By faith, he's full of the spirit and wisdom. He's full of faith. He's holding to the mystery of the faith. He's driven by a story about a risen Lord. We are not looking for accomplished men, but we are looking for men that are driven by faith. The men who aren't will be sporadic and undependable. The men who aren't driven by faith will be like Martha, distracted with much serving and hacked because everybody else didn't help it. The men who aren't driven by faith will ride the roller coaster of who's following them or who's not. And I promise you, it'll be a roller coaster. They'll deal with with frustration, discouragement. Man, how come nobody's helping me with this? That's not faith. Faith says, it's a scandal that I get to do this. The one who's not driven by faith will be up and down, in and out, and all will wonder what in the world happened to Jaime. But men that are driven by faith will be fueled by awe. Men that are driven by faith will be... Fueled by wonder and service will happen. It happens like this Awe, service. Awe, again, service. Service. I'm a little tired. Awe, worship, marvel, wonder, service. They're relentless in service because they're fueled and driven by. Faith. Current deacons, if you have lost your way and deaconing has become a chore, you need to rediscover your awe. Future deacons, not if you lose your way, I think you will because I've lost mine in the pastorate before. Go find your awe. Be scandalized and ravaged by this crazy gospel that we're part of. Be amazed that grace reaches so low and then go serve. Rediscover your all. Without it, you dilute the diaconate. And if we do the flip side of this 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, you get the flip side of that. You lose good standing if you don't serve in faith. Deaconing is essential work by men of faith. And here's the third thing that brings unity to the body. Go back to Acts chapter 6. Let's take in again these details in verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, give them a face... Imagine anybody in your life that's ever complained about anything. Surely you can think of somebody. Put that face on the Hellenists. They're slighted. They're hacked. They're mad. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. There's division in the infant church. Let's really appreciate what's going on here. There's division in the baby church. Church, and it's over the distribution of resources. And one does not have to be creative to think about the myriad of ways churches might divide. Do you? You might have to think real hard. Anybody, you became a Christian yesterday? You may not have a reference. Here's some hot button topics that are often connected to division: youth ministry. Budgets, building campaigns, staffing, carpet color, music volume, style of worship. Man, the solution for the division in the early church in this context here was the deacon. Do you see that? It gives me goosebumps when I think about it. Just the idea of the deacon left the whole congregation. Look there in verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole congregation. Just the notion of men who were dedicated to serving left the whole congregation pleased. Imagine the implementation and the installation of these guys must have even more so left them pleased. Because there's no record of further conflict over this matter. It looks like it was resolved as men stepped up to serve. The deacon was the salve for the cut in the church. The deacon, if serving well, like Christ among us, leaves the congregation pleased. Man, we've seen glimpses of that in this body. And we can dream together what that might look like for a deaconate that's serving well. Needs are met. Resources are distributed. Elders are freed to pray and preach and minister with the word. Deacons serving biblically doesn't foster division. How many churches have been split by the deaconate, The deaconate is to bring unity. Like salve. On a cut. Like food on an empty stomach. Like Christ among us. The deacons bring unity to the body. Deaconing is an essential work by men of faith. That brings unity to the body. And forth That furthers the kingdom of God. This is the sweetest, sweetest truth of the deacon. And been the most arresting reality for me. Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 6. The apostles came up with the idea. They present it to the people. They give them the kind of men that they want to go look for. The people are nominated, these seven. And these seven are set before the apostles in verse 6. And so the apostles, they pray and lay their hands on them. And then before verse 7, there must have been a period of time that elapsed a week, a month. We don't know, but there's some period of time elapsed. For it says next in the next verse, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You got to see that connection right there between verse 6 and verse 7. The gospel spread when these men stepped up and served The gospel was furthered. The apostles were freed to preach and teach and pray. And the people were cared for and the word increased. And the disciples multiplied and even priests. (laughs) Jewish priests? Yes, even priests came to faith when deacons deaconed. Man, if you're reading that, you're looking at what all happened in verse 7. I'm looking at the going, man, I want all of that to happen in Greenville. And I'm not putting all of it on the deacon. But there's sure, certainly a key ingredient in what happened right here. Deacons deaconing greased the skids for the kingdom of God to swoop in. Man, I'm seeing that and I'm loving that. Look back at 1 Timothy chapter 3. The same picture is over here. Chapter 2, Paul writes about prayer. He's writing to a church planter, a guy that's going to create church, not create. He's going to plant church, and he's writing on prayer. And then in the beginning of chapter 3, he writes on elders. And then in verse 8, he writes on deacons. And then here in verse 14, he just told him the qualifications for deacons. And then he says, in the same breath. Now, realize we don't have Paul's letter doesn't say the mystery of godliness. That's our insertion. This is the next sentence for Paul. Paul's just written about prayer. He's just written about elders. He's just written about deacons. And then he says, hey, Tim, while those things are still fresh on your mind, I want you to know that I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things, these things on prayer, these things on eldering, these things on deaconing, So that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. In case I delay, these words will inform you about how people ought to behave in the household of God, which is the pillar and buttress of the truth, which is the thing that is to be furthered. I'm writing these things about elders. Yeah, elders. Deacons. Yeah, deacons. So that you'll know how the kingdom is to be furthered. So that you'll know how the truth is to be buttressed. So that you'll know how the truth is to be pillared. Man, I'm seeing that and it is clarifying for me. Because I've had a burden for Greenville for seven years. And not until preparing this message have I connected the dot that... We're not going to reach Greenville if the diakonite's rich and not rich and healthy. Paul's telling Timothy, you get the elders in order, oh, you pray. You get the elders in order, you get the diaconate in order, and then, man, the truth is going to be buttressed. The household of God will know how to behave. And there's so many people that have a burden for the lost, but they have no use for the church, not realizing that what you're bringing the lost is the gospel in motion with teeth, hair, eyes, feet, hands, called the church. Man, when you take Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3 and you see what's being exposed there, you realize that the sweet thing that we offer Greenville is the church being the church. Elders eldering. Deacons deaconing. People's needs being met in scandalous ways. Glasses being filled. Baskets being full. You want to take a story to Greenville. This is the illustration of the story. You take a story to Greenville or wherever... But you don't have an emphasis on the church being the church. You're missing it. That's what's to be furthered. The church is a living gospel. And when the elder's elder and the deacon's deacon, man, then you're talking about the cream, the long arm of evangelism being extended out to Greenville. And Quinlan, Rockwall, Commerce, Jordan, Kazakhstan. The church being the church. Deaconing is an essential work by men of faith that brings unity to the body and furthers the kingdom of God. There are four men that have been tested. I'd like for these men to come up now Jeff Willingham, Morris Bean, Jake Wetzel, and Brad Galleon. These men have been tested, they've been nominated by the body. And just like the word shows today, we're going to lay hands on them and pray for them. And pray that God uses them as Christ among us. Stay up here for a second. Elders, we're going to have the Lord's Supper here in a second so y'all can stay, stay in the area. We've got some uh, ancient um, serving vessels that have been unearthed at uh, Hobby Lobby <laughs> with, uh, for these men, for them to proudly, not proudly, humbly <laughs> display. In your homes, uh, to remind you of your service to this body. Morris Bean says, Cross Point Fellowship. Go, Morris. Tried to match the decor with the ancient, you know, the decor of your home with the ancient look of this Brad Gallion.
1: <laughs> He's calling me.
0: Jeff Willingham. If you break those, I'm sorry, you don't get another one.
1: Thanks, y'all. Y'all can have a seat. As we come to uh, the supper, taking the Lord's Supper together, um, I just want to share with you what I guess is a little bit of a frustration as an elder, um, but a good frustration, I guess. And the deacons, I think uh, I speak for them. I'm speaking as as Brad, but I think I can speak for the other elders and deacons when I say that when we serve... This meal to you. Um, we're not thinking about getting it down the aisle without spilling it on somebody, and we're not thinking about uh, don't drop the basket. <laughs> uh, what What's on our hearts and our minds are is you, and it's frustrating that we can't squeeze down in that aisle and get your eyes sometimes and say what this Mark account of the supper says. So let me read it first, and then I'll tell you what I'm thinking. As they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take this, my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drink of it and he said to them this is my blood the covenant which is poured out for many so this bread being broken like his body was broken the bread given like his body given his blood poured out and then we receive and so when we come to this supper it's something that not only i enjoy eating but enjoy serving and as we know you, some of you better than others, as a deacon or elder passes this supper, know that I know that you've been striving to rest in Jesus. I know some of you will run to this table to eat this morning with tears of joy. Some of you may come hesitant because you've been fighting sin, wondering. Can I take it? Can I eat it? And so, we're not able to say anything. The most I can do as we're walking up and down the aisle is catch those of you on the outside with a pat on the shoulder (laughs) and, um, you know, body language or, I don't know if we're, a wing catcher or something. It's so hard to communicate in this moment. But what I'd like for us to do this morning is that before we take the bread once it's passed out, I just want to say to you on behalf of the other elders, I want to say something to you. And if I could grab some of you by the ears, because I know what you've been going through this week, and say, this body's broken for you. It's broken for you. I want to say that to you. But I want to say that to us corporately. And then I want you to say back, thanks be to God. We'll say that back together. When I say, this body is broken for you, and then you say back corporately, we'll say it together. Thanks be to God, not thanks be to the elders, not thanks be that nobody dropped a plate or somebody did, not thanks be to God that we're about to go do something else here in a minute. Thanks be to God that his body is broken for us, and we eat and receive it. His blood poured out for you, and then thanks be to God. We'll say it together. Let me read it again. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And he said, take this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. So whether you're running to the table this morning or hesitant, no matter where you've been, striving to rest, resting, fighting sin, enjoying his grace, the body of Christ. Broken for you, thanks be to God. Cross Point Fellowship, the blood of Christ poured out for you, thanks be to God.
0: It's mornings like this that remind me how much, uh, how much I love the church. Golly, what a sweet time! What a just edifying time. That's what it was. Just edifying. Just feel thicker, you know, fuller, enjoying y'all more and enjoying the Lord more and what He's done through. Uh, through us and for us and the work of the cross um, I want to have a couple families I want to bring up uh, for membership um, Trevor and Jenny y'all come on up it's Trevor and Jenny Goodman Caleb you can come on up too Trevor and Jenny have two kids Noah is six, five, four <laughs> I hit it eventually and I forgot the littlest one's name Katie, Katie. Christy Christy remembered it and no, I wasn't sure So I, I hate venturing out there but well, Noah and Katie encourage you to meet, uh, meet this family. Um, Trevor is a, uh, a graphic designer and works in Dallas, so he's on the road a lot. He leaves in the wee hours in the morning and, uh, so he can get home in time to be with the family. And I uh, encourage you to, to have them over for dinner or invite yourself over to their house for dinner. They're good. They can cook. Christy and I have been all over there already, so I encourage you to get to know this family of faith. It's uh, sweet that the Lord has brought them here. This is Caleb Jacks. Caleb is a teacher, an art teacher, and an artist, a pretty um, amazing artist. If you've ever seen any of what he's done, he's a worshiper, too, and uh, he, he's been walking with us the last few months. Really, he's been walking with us for some time, and um, just in these last few months, has been arrested with kind of a burden. I want to be part of this people, and I want them to know Uh, that he wants to be known and wants to know you. So um, I encourage you to get to know Caleb as well. And uh, one of the things I enjoy about young families making this statement of membership is because it matters. You know, uh, there's a potential context. And I want to make a sweeping statement about our context regarding membership. But there's a potential to treat membership like it's just kind of paperwork. And it's more than that. It's a commitment to be part of a people. It's a commitment to be accountable to one another. Um, it's not like marriage, but it's a covenant. We treat it like a covenant. And these, both of these families um, have, and we consider you a family. I don't know if you know that, but we do, um, have considered and prayed through our membership covenant and said, man, I want to be part of this. I want to be known and knowing, and I want to be accountable. I want to be searchable. I want to be on this journey together with this people. And... Um, I encourage you, if you're just kind of looking for, hey, what is this? What is this church you've been visiting with us? Or you're looking around, maybe you're visiting family today, and maybe you're kind of floating. I encourage you to land, land in the church of Jesus Christ and enjoy Him with the people. And guess what? There are going to be problems. I mean, that's why it's the gospel in the flesh. It's the gospel being lived out where every day you need grace, you got to get it and you got to give it. <laughs> I mean, it's the gospel in motion. So if, it, it's, it's not heaven yet. It's the gospel in motion. So I encourage you, if you're not part of a church or you're floating or you're visiting with a family right now, or um, it's okay if it's not this one, but connect to a body of believers where you're accountable. Um, lastly, I want to say if your family that, been, that are here this morning, because you have a family member that is recognized as a deacon this morning, we just want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. I know it's probably different. (laughs) We're not different on purpose. We're just who we are. And um, we're not trying to be something that we're not. We're just trying to be faithful worshipers and enjoy them out loud. So we're glad you're here, counting a privilege. Y'all stand and I'll dismiss you. After I dismiss you, please come up and meet these families. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for the time that we've had together in the Word. We're thankful that you have been among us, that your name is near Thankful that you're not aloof and disengaged, but that you are all up in the people of God. And we have just enjoyed your presence this morning. We've enjoyed the work that you've done on these four men and their families, and we look forward to the work that you have yet to do in and through them. Uh, We pray for them and for our current deacons. Uh, Lord, we just pray that your name will be famous. We pray that people will be served well. We pray that the people of God will be pleased. We pray that the kingdom will be furthered through the church being the church. We love you so much, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.